Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And we're just asking that all of this would be more than just information. That all of this would result in our transformation. That you would truly lead us and grow us and, and transform us by the word of God. We pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you so much for the ways that you have demonstrated uh, the, the process of growth and the decisions that you've made in the lives of Nick and Mike already. And Lord, we just want to give you the green light. Whatever you need to do in us, go ahead. Please, Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' saving name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. All right, so go ahead and take whatever Bible is in your hand or in the pew in front of you or the, the seat back in front of you or on your device. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're starting. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when you've found it, go ahead and say, I've found it. All right. So that's the New Testament. You've got your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts, and Romans. And then you've got the Corinthian letters. Now, the, the letters to the church in Corinth, man, when Paul was writing these things, he was really addressing, essentially, uh, you could say the big picture of the letters. He's addressing the nitty-gritty of church life the nuts and bolts of trying to be a community of faith and sorting through real issues, real struggles, things that uh, you probably you know, wouldn't want to talk to your kids about even. You know? there, there was real stuff. Life was messy. Can we all attest to the fact that life in the body of Christ can sometimes be messy? Yeah? I mean, it's not always cookie cutter. But the thing is that the Corinthians... They had this expectation that it should be cookie cutter. In fact, when you start reading through, just kind of scanning your way through 1 Corinthians 12, you get a sense of some of the issues like, uh, you know, I'm not this way. He's not that way. I, people should be like me, you know, things like this. There were cookie cutter expectations. And when those expectations are unmet, when those expectations are unrealistic, <laughs> and that results in tension results in frustration. And you can kind of get a sense that people were starting to value one mold of Christian service and devaluing other molds of Christian service. And on the other side of that, people were feeling lesser or people were feeling as though they didn't belong because they didn't measure up to someone's ideal of what Christianity should look like or what service in the body of Christ should look like. And so these were the kinds of things that were going on in, in people's hearts in the Corinthian church there. And so if you're in 1 Corinthians 12, go ahead and say amen. All right. We're going to start in verse 12, and we'll just kind of see how it is that Paul introduces this metaphor to a people who are wondering where their place is, or not just their own place, wondering about other people's place in the body of Christ. So starting in verse 12, the Bible says, and I'm reading from the New King James. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now, just from that verse alone, what was the repeated word or idea? One, right? Yeah, so there's oneness in the body. So that, that's, that's huge. The body of Christ is supposed to communicate oneness, or we might say it like this. It's supposed to teach us unity. 
having this idea in mind, allowing this to be the frame of reference of how we identify the church, the community of faith, we should say, okay, when we are a body, we are one. All right, verse 13, it continues. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or frees, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. In other words, in this oneness, there's inclusiveness, right? Whatever barriers you're used to categorizing people in and separating people in, that doesn't belong in the body where there's oneness. All right, keep, keeping on. Uh, let's start in verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? I mean, you can kind of chuckle at this, right? Paul is using these rhetorical questions and these really odd ideas. I mean, just imagine your ear actually talking to the eye, saying, hey, I'm not like you. That means I'm not part of the body, right? Or the foot saying to the hand, hey, I'm not like you. That means I must not be part of the body. And Paul is saying, no, that, that's not it. We might be different, but we're still one, yeah? Continuing on, uh, I'll read in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And again, this is, this is really humorous, actually, when you start thinking about it. That in this oneness, there is diversity. Right? So do you know that there's a difference between unity and uniformity? Right? The body is supposed to communicate unity, not uniformity. And so when there are differences, that is by design. That is actually necessary in the body of Christ. I mean, don't let your imagination run too wild, but just imagine a huge eye rolling around. No, no, that's not how it should be. There is necessary diversity. And how, where does that diversity come from? Well, it comes from God. Notice verse 18. But now God has set the members each one of them in the body, just as who pleased? Just as he pleased. Even if it's not pleasing to me, hey, God is pleased by this. <laughs> yeah? So that assignment of diversity, it's just as God pleases. And that divine appointment, because it's of God's design, that means every member, wherever he or she is, is valued. Especially those that appear to be less significant. On the surface, those that seem to be in the background are really more honorable in God's eyes. Uh, you keep getting this idea in verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which think to be less, I'm sorry, which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Again, he, it's his body. It's his doing. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Now notice this in verse 25. This is kind of the goal, where all of this unity leads. That there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. That's the point. 
That there should be no divisions, no schisms, no fractures. That's the word there. That there should be no schisms in the body. But what, what should there be? That the members should have the same care for one another. I want us to hear this. That God's ideal for unity is not just the absence of division, but the presence of genuine care. It's not just to say, no, there's, there's no drama here, but that there, it's full of love and care. Yeah. So again, the body teaches us about unity. It's a unity that does not mean uniformity. And it's a unity that values, that needs one another, that cares for one another. And I love that the fact that all of this crescendos to chapter 13. <laughs> and that's the greatest gift, right? The greatest gift is love. That's where it all leads. And so that's, that's the first epistle, in, or I guess one of the epistles that Paul uses this body metaphor in. And again, you know, we didn't highlight this now, but it's actually in the context or on the heels of talking about spiritual gifts, which is what we'll talk about later on. But here, I just want us to recognize that when Paul uses this idea of body, he's trying to teach the church about unity, all right? Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So we're in 1 Corinthians. Now go to the left, just one letter over. Romans chapter 12 is another epistle. In Romans 12, um, Paul is also going to talk about spiritual gifts, but before he gets to the spiritual gifts component, he's going to talk about the body. Now, if you've ever read Romans... I mean, this is like, uh, you know, Paul's climactic letter. It's, it's the one that really outlines the gospel, how salvation is made available to us. And he does it in such a systematic, genius way. And then when you get to chapter 12 of this letter, Paul is now going to take all of those ideas of the gospel and he's going to get really practical. Well, this is what it means to live in this way. And so that's why you hear the appeal in verse 1 of chapter 12. Hey, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies like a living sacrifice. Okay? So Romans chapter 12. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. All right. And in verse 3, we get a sense of what Paul is trying to get at. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself how more highly than he ought to think, but to think in what way? To think soberly. That's, that means using sound judgment. To think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This is really interesting. You know, leading up to this, like in chapters 1 and 2, Paul has done a really good job of humbling uh, his Jewish audience, Jewish believers, okay? He's kind of brought them uh, to level ground. He's already humbled the Jews in his audience by, you know, just saying, hey, look, don't presume that you are favored in God's sight. Don't presume that you've just got a, a golden ticket with God. And then in chapter 11, he was talking specifically to Gentile Christians. Hey, don't think of yourself too highly either. Just because the Jews are in a broken relationship with God through their unbelief, don't feel like you have an advantage now. And so here in verse 3, he's saying, hey, let's just level the playing field for everybody. <laughs> don't think of yourself too highly, or at least more highly than you ought to think. But think soberly. Why? Because God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. That's the level ground. 
we all cannot trust in ourselves, right? We all need to trust in Jesus. Amen. And that's the level ground. So here's Paul's train of thought. Hey, if part of accepting the gospel involves not thinking of ourselves too highly, then, then part of practicing the gospel involves not thinking of ourselves too highly. All right, so the body is really, this metaphor is supposed to teach us now about humility. The body is not just teaching us unity as it was in 1 Corinthians 12, but here in Romans 12, it's teaching us humility. Humility. Especially when it comes to understanding each other's differences. All right, whether those differences are in gifts and skills, ways that we contribute to the church, or the differences may be in terms of spiritual experience and spiritual maturity. Oh, I've been here longer than you have. <laughs> don't, don't think of yourselves too highly, all right? So let, let's take a look here. In, in verse 4, how does he go about this? For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Just let that sink in a little bit. You're actually a member, not just of a body, like a, an organization. You're a member of each other. There's an organic connection that's implied there, right? In other words, your health affects someone else's health in the body. And someone else's health affects yours as well. We're members of one another. In verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and then, just like it does in 1 Corinthians 12, it does it right here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Did you notice kind of the trajectory of it all? It leads to love. It leads to love. This body, yes, it teaches us uni unity. It teaches us humility. But ultimately, revealing the character of God through love. So when it comes to this idea of humility, especially in, in light of differences, you know, yes, different function, but also different levels of experience. I want us to understand something, that differences are not leverage, okay? Differences are not to be meant as leverage to exalt ourselves over others, nor are differences to be taken as excuses. Excuses to devalue or excuses to criticize others, and not even or excuses to devalue and criticize ourselves. Differences are all the more reason to esteem others. Differences are all the more reason to embrace others. Why? Because they are vital to our well-being. We are members one of another. Do you follow me today? Yes or no? Yeah? I mean, allow these things just to kind of sink in. And again, the, the need is that we need to recognize that though we're all different, we're all part of the same team. <laughs> Members with a diversity of function, members one of another, and we're members really in Christ. And that's who knits us together. All right. The reality is, you know, um, there, there is another letter. Uh, there is another epistle um, in Colossians. 
Colossians, actually, Paul uses the body metaphor in, in a little less um, obvious way. He kind of subtly weaves it here and there. And it kind of gives us the flip side of humility. The flip side of humility is this, that only one should be exalted. Like if there is someone who ought to be exalted, who is the one? Jesus Christ, right? And so Colossians actually highlights Jesus as the head of the body. And that's another picture. When, we, when the body teaches us humility, thinking not too highly of ourselves or more highly than we ought to think, and really valuing others, it teaches us to exalt Jesus Christ. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, this is how uh, one of those instances where, where Paul uses the word body in Colossians. He says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body. He's the head of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have, uh, what's that big word? The preeminence, that he is above all, that all these things are for him. That's why we say it's the body of Christ. And sometimes we have this funny tendency of saying, no, 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 this, this is my church. No, it's not. <laughs> it's his church. Yeah. And so let, let him be the one that is lifted high. And guess what? When he is lifted high, all will be drawn to him. So the body metaphor, yes, it teaches us humility. It teaches us to exalt Jesus because he is the only one worthy of that. And the last thing that, that uh, we want to go to is Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians, all right? Ephesians chapter 4, kind of bypassing Colossians and then going to Ephesians. Actually, let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where the first time, it's the first instance of this body metaphor in this letter. Ephesians chapter 2, and it's in verse 16. When you're there, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. Ephesians is a letter, I mean, it was about a year ago, actually, that we went through chapter by chapter uh, this letter. Um, and really, if you were to kind of just put one label on this book, I would say grace, <laughs> okay? Ephesians just has a way of describing the amazing grace of Jesus. And in this context of God's amazing grace, Paul outlines how that grace, it restores my relationship with God, but it also does a reconciling work with my relationship with other people. So chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, And that he, Jesus, might reconcile, that means mend or bring together, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. How? Through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Paul is making a point about grace. He's making a point about its mending, healing, reconciling power. And it implies that, you know, in the, the church of Ephesus, the Ephesian believers, they were experiencing divisions, yeah? They were experiencing divisions, but they were also experiencing other things as well. You know, and this is what's carried on in chapter 4. So now let's go to chapter 4. You might say, well, this, this sounds awful familiar. You know, 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, the body metaphor was teaching us about unity. It sounds like Paul is saying the same thing. The two need to become one. And yes, this is a similar lesson about unity, but there's more. There's more when this body language comes up in Ephesians chapter 4. 4 verse 16. Notice this. It says this. From whom the whole body 
joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes, what's the next word? Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So yes, it is, you know, there are some similar sentiments of unity and uh, division that needs to be healed. Actually, if you go just a few verses earlier to verse 13, you kind of catch that unity theme coming along. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's not just talking about unity, but he's actually talking about what I would suggest as maturity. Did you catch it? Yeah? So yes, th there are some divisions here. There's some things that need to be healed, but there's also some instability and that, that needs to be addressed with spiritual maturity. So in verse 14, he carries this on, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. In other words, hey, look, you, you don't stay as kids. God's design is that you grow up, that you grow up into what exactly? Let's keep going. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into who? Into him, into Jesus, who is the head that is Christ. So yes, the ideas of unity are there, being joined and knit together, but it's all moving towards the growth of the body, towards maturity. And this growth in grace is about growing to be like Jesus. Man, how many of us want to grow up in all things to be like Jesus? Yeah, sign me up, right? Sign us up. But I want us to notice something. All this talk about growing up into all things and the growth of the body and things. This does not just have in its scope, it is not just about me, it is about we. Like all of this is, is plural. Yes, I, I want to grow to be more like Jesus, but belonging to the body inspires not just me to grow, it encourages an outward focus so I can help others to grow. That's why the phrase in verse 16, I don't know if you caught it there, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's not just growth of the body parts. It's growth of the body. So I'm here so I can grow, but I'm also here so that you can grow. You're here so that you can grow. That's true, but it's bigger than that. You're here so that we can grow. Yeah? The growth of the body. And, you know, eventually we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We're going to get into the specifics and stuff. We'll get, get to that next week and then into the spiritual gifts workshop on May 13 for those of you who are able to be a part of that. But I want us just to consider this, that if we don't recognize what the body is all about, unity, humility, maturity... If we don't recognize all of that, then all of our talk about spiritual gifts, it'll just remain on the level of tasks and getting things done and productivity instead of growing to be more like Jesus. I don't know if you're following my trajectory there, but 
We, we might be, yes, if we all understand our spiritual gifts and stuff, we might be a highly functioning collection of individuals, but it wouldn't have a saving influence in the world if we haven't experienced unity, humility, and maturity. And again, the common thread in all of these body passages, we saw it in 1 Corinthians 12. It tr- crescendos to love. We saw it in, in Romans chapter 12. It crescendos to letting love be without hypocrisy. And then here in Ephesians 4, the very last part of verse 16, for the edifying of itself in love. And Paul carries on that idea in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. That's, that's what it's all about. Actually, uh, last Sabbath, I was, we were sitting in our Sabbath school class, and we were discussing the uniqueness of the Adventist movement. And I asked a question. I said, hey, what, what, in your mind, you know, no right or wrong answer, but in your mind, what sets apart Adventism? What has made the Adventist movement unique in your experience? And some shared about uh, the Sabbath. Man, it's just like, no, no other place can I find that gift, you know? Um, others shared different things about, you know, different ideas or doctrines from the Bible and the picture of God's character. And someone said, well, it's the love I feel here. Hey, now, okay? That's the body of Christ. What does Jesus say in John chapter 13? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Yeah. So this love... This is the highest evidence of who God is. It's not just our productivity that is the highest evidence of who God is. I want to tell you something. That God cares not so much how much... I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this. this. God cares... I'm sorry. God values not necessarily how much we accomplish for him, but how much love with which we work for him. And so this is why the body of Christ language, it's all supposed to lead us to living out the love of God. <laughs> so I just want to extend it a simple invitation to you. Do you want to belong to the body of Christ? Yeah? Is that your desire? Do you want to experience unity? Be willing to experience humility? And then allow God to bring about full maturity, not just for yourself, but for all who are part of the body. Is that your desire today? Yeah? How do we do that? Maybe you're asking, well, in Romans 12, it's by exercising the faith that has been given to us. In Ephesians 4, it's through the cross. It's only a miracle of Jesus. It's only by the blood and power of Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, it's by being baptized into the body. By declaring that Jesus' story is now my story. My identity, that's buried in the grave. My identity is that I'm walking in newness of life, and that's in Christ. And so I want to invite you, receive Jesus today. You want to belong to the body of Christ? Receive Jesus today. Exercise the faith that he has given to you. Look to the cross and realize that the power of Jesus' blood saves my relationship with him and my relationship with the body. And be baptized. If you haven't taken that step, this is the opportunity to say yes to that. Hey, I, I promised Nick and Mike that I was going to have a special prayer for them here in the front. So can you, can you come forward now? Yeah.
And I, I just want to extend an invitation. If there's anyone else that is saying today, you know what? I want to make a decision for baptism. That, that, that story of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, I want that story to be my story. If that's your desire, would you come join us here too? I want to have a special prayer. We'll sing our closing song in just a little bit. A simple invitation. If you decide, yes, I want to be baptized, I want to pray for you today. I know that there are about a half dozen of us that are already preparing for that. I think we're looking for some summer dates when the weather's a little warmer for an outside experience. But if there's anybody here that says, yeah, I want to take that step. It won't happen today, although we do have the water for it. Maybe some extra towels. But, um, but we can prepare for that. We can prepare for that. Maybe you're watching online or listening to this recording later on. If that's a desire for you, go ahead and let us know. You can fill out the Connect card on our, on our church website, fcsdachurch.org. No. Yes, .org slash connect. Or you can just uh, send us a message uh, through our email response there. All right. Okay, we're going to have a prayer, and then Kevin's going to lead us in the song. Gracious God, this is our desire. We all want to belong to the body of Christ. And as we've seen Nick and Mike confess their desire to, to belong to you and to your body, Lord, we want to affirm them, rally around them, and pray for them, not just right now, but as they continue to journey. Lord, make us faithful to pray. Make us faithful to be present. Lord, we were talking about this last night, about four goals of abiding in Jesus, bearing fruit for Jesus, connecting with others, and making disciples as well. Lord, I pray that Nick and Mike would be your mighty instruments through which many others would be led to the kingdom of God. And just as Jesus was praying, as, as he walked out of the waters of the Jordan River, he was praying for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for the same today, that Nick and Mike, would truly be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would fill them, that you would fulfill the promise of Acts chapter 1, 8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, right where they are, in their closest of circles, and into farther reaches beyond, I pray that you would give them power, not just today, but every day. Lord, we pray that you would also give them protection, that you would cause them to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The whole armor of God would be their clothing. So from head to toe, Lord, give them the belt of truth. Give them the breastplate of righteousness. Give them the helmet of salvation. Give them the shoes of the gospel of peace. Give them the sword of the Spirit. And cause them to be praying always in all things in the Spirit. Lord, this is our prayer for Nick and Mike. This is our prayer for each and every one of us. Amen. We pray in Jesus' name. Let the families say, Amen. 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 And amen. amen.